Jerry for the uh, reading. And uh, please keep your Bibles open and we will uh, pray together as we begin. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we look at your words now in Scripture, that you would, uh, you would work in us um, uh, that wonderful grace of giving, uh, that we may have uh, hearts full of grace-filled generosity, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So you have 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 um, before you. It's a remarkable um, uh, two chapters, actually. Um, it's, uh, it's almost unique, apparently, in antiquity. Um, uh, you didn't get this sort of writing about uh, giving um, uh, 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 at this particular time in history. And um, so we're very blessed. I think it's a result of the gospel, actually, that you get 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. It's a result of Jesus' coming that uh, you suddenly get something like this. But we're thinking about giving uh, today because um, uh, it's Stewardship Sunday. Every year we think about this. And that's because we have such a churn through of people um, moving on to other parts of the country and new people coming in. It's important that we are partners together in the ministry of the gospel that comes uh, through this church. And also because it's a particular time of year, we've just come to the end of uh, building for growth, or almost, we're almost there. Uh, um, but actually, uh, th- that's the problem with building for growth. You think, well, we've come to the end of it, but actually, it's just the start. Now we've got the building, now it's time for ministry for growth, or mission for growth, or something like that. So um, we have a challenge before us. Uh, Ten years ago, I think a visiting consultant said to us, quoting Jesus, that those to whom much is given, much will be required. So we have a responsibility uh, to this city with the gospel, and therefore we need to learn uh, or be reminded about the grace of giving. So we're going to look at this chapter. Uh, We're going to skim through it very quickly. Um, Three things, obviously, (laughs) there was three. And uh, the first I want to talk about is the key to, uh, to giving, the key to grace-filled generosity. The occasion of this little section in 2 Corinthians is what they call the collection for the saints. Uh, the Christians in Jerusalem were suffering, they were being persecuted, they were conf- there was confiscation of their goods, um, there was a famine as well. Um, and so Paul's plan was to get the churches that he cared for, which happened to be Gentile churches, to support their Jewish brothers and sisters back in Jerusalem. Now, immediately you can see this is a brilliant idea, not just because it's good to be generous and and that the churches that have got something ought to give to the churches that have not got something, but actually because it breaks down the dividing wall of hostility between Gentile and Jew. Um, And if you've been following the series on Galatians, you'll have realized that some years before this particular letter, There was a bit of a division. Was Christianity going to be a Jewish sect or not? No, it was for the whole world, Jew and Gentile. So that's the occasion of it. But there's something else to this as well. There was a problem. And the problem was that Paul wasn't exactly popular with some of the Corinthians. He'd had to write to them a painful letter. Uh, Partly it was about their morality or various other things as well. 
And Paul would not conform uh, to other uh, visiting leaders or patrons. He wouldn't accept any money. He would work uh, uh, um, to support himself. And the other thing was that, that he kept talking about a gospel of sacrifice and suffering. And if you read earlier on in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he talks about what his own life was like. He was, he was beaten and yet, you know, the, uh, the gospel went forward. You know, he suffered all sorts of things and yet good things happened. And, and they found that difficult because they thought that religion was something that made you happy. <laughs> that was the point of religion. And that you may think, perhaps you think that yourself, I don't know. Um, you know, that coming to church um, is meant to make you happy. And here am I talking about giving your money away. <laughs> well, uh, the real heart of it, I think, is in verse 10. Um, they had said they were going to do something, but they had held back from doing it. There was a withholding of what they were going to do. Now, if somebody withholds from you, it's actually, you know, what they said they were going to do. It's actually a bit of a weapon, isn't it? It's a bit of a power play. So you can withhold friendship. If somebody doesn't do something that, that, that you like, you can withhold that. In marriage, you can withhold sex. St. Saint, Saint Paul uh, talked about that, actually, um, in his letter that you know, you're not, not supposed to do that except for some kind of uh, agreement and perhaps the spiritual reasons. So withholding demonstrates there's a, there's a problem. And if it happens in a church, that's not a good thing. And so that is why when he talks about giving and the key to giving, it doesn't come as a command. He doesn't say, you've got to do this. It's more about your motivation to do this. So, so he, starts, you know, he starts talking about, brothers, I want you to know about the grace that, that God has given <coughs> to the Macedonian churches. <coughs> he talks in verse 11 about um, eager willingness to give. Or in uh, 9 verse 7, each of you should have decided um, in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That is that God, you know, we've often misused that cheerful giver thing, haven't we? You know, hilarious giving and all of that. And I think that's, that doesn't do it justice. That the joy that, that you're, uh, you should have so much joy in you about the Lord Jesus that it should overflow in giving. Uh, it, it needs to come out of you as a person. It's just like everything that we want to happen in this church should come out from within you. So we don't compel you to evangelize. It should bubble up from within you. I had a wonderful story yesterday about, uh, about something like that, that happened like that, just bubbling up from the congregation. So giving, it should be part of what God is doing in your life. And so what he does is he says, right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you an example beginning of chapter 8. I'm going to talk about the Macedonians. Now, talking about the Macedonians is like talking to the people of Manchester about the Liverpudlians. You know, I mean, it, it's kind of got that edge to it. You know, uh, you know, we don't like them in football. You know, 
we just don't like him. No, 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 that's not right. I'm sure, I'm sure that I just caused a war, I know. But do, do you know what I mean? It's a bit of a thing that goes on, and maybe it's just fun. But, but anyway, he talks about the Macedonians. And look at verse 2. I want you to see the equation in verse 2. It's a very strange one, isn't it? Um, extreme poverty plus over, overflowing joy in the gospel equals rich generosity. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Is that not a strange thing? But actually, it's often the case, isn't it? That actually people who are in a really difficult position, somehow there's, a, there's something that, that works in them that just overflows to other people. Somebody gave me this the other day. I thought it was really good. It's from the film The Third Man. Um, apparently the artist Whistler um, said this, and it, it gets quoted by Orson Welles in, in The Third Man. And here's the quote. You know what that fellow said. In Italy, for 30 years under the Borgias, they had warfare, terror, murder and bloodshed, but they produced Michelangelo, Leonardo da Vinci and the Renaissance. In Switzerland... They had brotherly love. They had 500 years of democracy and peace. And what did they produce? The cuckoo clock. Now, actually, the Swiss objected to this bit in the movie because they said it was the Germans that produced the cuckoo clock. So perhaps they, did, they just produced watches. I don't know. But anyway, and I like the Swiss. So, you know, that's just a kind of quote. So please, if you're Swiss out there, um, don't be offended. But what is the key to it, you see? In verse 5, he goes on to talk about the key was, so it's motivation. Where does the motivation uh, spring from? Well, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us. What happens in an extreme trial? An extreme trial like theirs, which was suffering for their faith, sometimes... Uh, when, when people are in uh, an extreme trial, um, you see that their faith isn't solidly based. But most often what you find is that in a severe trial, you realize that there's only one place to go. You realize there's only one person who can really help you. And actually what happens in a severe trial, although there is anger and frustration and tears in trial, the Lord himself does begin to draw close. And there's a clarity that comes that actually he's the only one I've got. I know, I know somehow in, in God's sovereignty this has happened to me, but Lord, where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. You're the only place I can go. And so there's this clarity that comes. And in particular, in their kind of suffering, they begin to discover that he alone is all they have. He alone is all that they need. He's enough. And out of that comes joy and generosity. Now, we don't all have to go through extreme trial. And, 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 and it's just there to help us to see the Macedonians or other brothers and sisters who've been through things help us to see actually Actually, the Lord is all you need and all, all that's required. Give yourselves to the Lord. I don't know whether you've done that. Is there a sense in which you hold yourself back from God? I mean, I don't know whether you, you know, maybe you, 
you know, you think God, God wants you to be a missionary, but you don't want to be a missionary because he's going to send you to the very place that you really hate. <laughs> I've been very struck by um, a bit in the, um, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. It's in, it's in Matthew chapter 7, and it might be just worth looking at um, if, you, if you want to look at it. 7 verse 7. Um, this is such a key point. I just, I just think it's, it's, it's really important to get this right. The motivation is, is the key. The motivation comes from giving yourself to the Lord. And the Lord Jesus is actually encouraging these people. He's saying to them, um, Ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Now, I've always been struck. Why does Jesus tell them to ask? Why does he tell them to seek and to knock? And it seems as if there was a reluctance. There was a a holding back from asking God or seeking God with a whole heart or, or knocking on God's door. And I think it becomes clear from the little story that comes afterwards. He says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, would give him a snake. And actually, that's quite interesting, isn't it? You know, a loaf of bread can look like a stone, can't it? And, uh, you know, you could sort of dive into it and break your teeth. But but, but surely, as a parent, you would never do that. You would never, if they asked for bread, you'd never give them a stone, would you? If they had for lunch today, you know, they said, oh, I wouldn't mind a bit of fish. Actually, they tend not to like fish. But you know what I mean? You wouldn't actually give them, all right, I've got a snake here. It's going to bite them. It's going to really hurt them. You'd never do that. Please tell me. Please to just assure me right now or else we'll keep the kids in there for the whole week. No, but, you know, I mean, you would never do that. And then Jesus says, you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. So why is it that we don't want to come to God and say, God, I, I, I will follow you with my whole heart. Is it because we think that he won't give us good things? Is it, that he, is it that we think that actually he's worse than the most evil parent? They gave themselves to the Lord. And then, in giving, you know, if you give yourself fully to the Lord, you are going to give yourself fully to the church and to the church of the apostles, and to, and to Paul and his teaching and, and such like. So that is the key, I think. And, uh, you know, whether it's gifts of money or gifts of time or service or whatever it is, the key to giving is they gave themselves to the Lord. That's the first thing I want to say. The second thing, the challenge of giving, we move through a bit faster, the challenge with giving, sorry, wrong heading there, with giving, Verses 10 to um, 15 of 2 Corinthians, who just turned back there. We might give ourselves to the Lord today and we say, yes, Lord, here I am. And uh, we give ourselves to the Lord on a Sunday. But by the time Monday comes, nothing concrete has happened or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday. We're sort of full of good intentions, but it needs to be earthed in something practical. Now, now, Paul is very practical through this whole section. Um, verse 10, here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you thought about it, now finish the work. You know, I know you thought about it, but, 
but finish it. I mean, I, I've seen so many projects that have started that are half-built. Um, uh, you know, when we, we, we went around, we, we visited India, we kept seeing half-built projects that had started but not finished. And, and this, is, this is just intention last year, but it hasn't actually turned into anything yet. And he's very good, is Paul, you know, in verse 16, very clever. I'm going to send Titus to you, you know, you know in a few months, and you just get ready, make sure that the collection is there. Make sure we're not embarrassed, you know. I don't want to feel ashamed of you. I want to feel proud of you. You know, he's doing everything he can to say, you know, the giving is not an emotive kind of thing. And the grace of giving, it is something that you plan, you think, you sit down and you say, look, what are we going to do? This is what our income is. This is what are we going to do? This is what my time is. What am I going to do to serve the Lord? But I think there's a couple of other things here that are, that are very important. Um, in verses 7 and 8, uh, you'll, you'll see the language that he uses about uh, giving. He doesn't actually mention money at all in both chapters. It's very interesting, isn't it? He talks about the grace of giving. He talks about he talks about it as it were as if it was a spiritual gift, an act of grace. So he lists off in verse seven all these ministries uh, in faith and speech and knowledge, and then he just adds on to it this ministry, this grace of giving. The Holy Spirit giving you the grace to exercise a ministry gift. It's as if giving of resources, be it time or money, is a ministry gift that enables other ministry gifts. That's the language that he uses. But there's something else here as well. If it's a ministry gift then it needs to be given. It needs to be exercised. It is for the benefit of other people. And there's something else here in verses 13 and onwards. Our desire, he talks about this, our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed. We're not asking you to sort of go broke here but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality as it is written. And this is the interesting bit. Exodus, I think it's 17. Um, 16. Exodus, he quotes Exodus 16. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Now, what's all that about? Well, he's referring to the people of Israel as they went through the wilderness. Do you remember the story? And uh, they, didn't, they didn't have enough resources to keep themselves going. They, they couldn't support this sort of vast uh, army of people going through, um, going through the wilderness. And so God did a miracle. He provided manna for them. Remember, this manna would come down. They could make cakes out of it or whatever. Um, but the point in the collection of it uh, was that um, uh, you must not take more than what your family needed for the day. And if you did take more, do you remember what happened to it? Do you remember it, it just got full of, it got moldy, it got full, full of maggots and worms and stuff like that? Now, he likens money or giving, 
of resources. He likens that to manna, which is an interesting thing. Now, of course, you had to go and gather it. You had to work for it, you know, and some people could gather it quicker and some people worked harder at getting it, but it was still a gift that came down from God that you collected, as it were, and that you, you, you took enough for yourselves and left the rest for others. You see, you might say, no, what I've, what I've got, and let's say it's money, what I've got is the result of my hard work. It, it, it's, you know, I've worked really hard. And so therefore, you know, I ought to be able to use it for myself. I, I've, I've worked hard. It isn't a gift. Well, well, just think about that for a moment. <laughs> just think, if you were born in China in the 12th century and you were working on a paddy field somewhere, a rice field somewhere, you might work just as hard, <laughs> but you wouldn't have so much, would you? It's a gift that you have been born in, into this country and that you've been able to get the finances that you have in this country. What we have is the gift. And the challenge here is not to collect more than you need. The challenge is not to hoard it. What happens if you hoard stuff to yourself? It rots your soul. That's what happens. It turns to maggots and worms. You know, I know I'm, this is a great bit for preachers, isn't it? And uh, yes, I could really go on about this. I won't. But you know what I mean. And, 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 and it's not just actually individually. I think there's a challenge to us corporately as a church. It's not just about our money, but our resources, our people and our buildings. That's why we feel we've got to to, to go out from here to church plant. It's why we're moving from being reactive to proactive in church planting. It's because it's bad for us. We need to reach the city. If we don't, we'll go moldy. Do you know what I mean? So this is, this is one of the key things. God is giving us so much, but it must be used for the feeding of others. Those to whom much is given, much is required. And we need to feed the others with the bread of life. I'm sure church planting will be expensive. I'm sure it's costly. It's costly to give away people. The challenge then is to carry this on through to completion. And so that's this little middle section of Paul. It's to come on. I know you think it's a great idea. You've given yourself to the Lord. Now just let's work that through, shall we? Into actual action. Finish the job. Thirdly, the vision for giving. How do we move forward? Um, if we look now, just a little last section, we've got just three minutes, so I've got to be fast. Um, verses 5, 6, and 7 of chapter 9. We're swift, switching over to chapter 9. Just a quick look here. I want you to see the contrast um, in 5 and 6 and 7. So that in verse 5, yeah, giving is not something grudgingly given, grudgingly given, okay? It's generously given. And then in verse 6, it's not sparingly, but it's bountifully. And in verse 7, it's not compelled, but
but it's, it's cheerfully and freely given. So how, how can we get to be that kind of person? And I think we need two visions. And here's the first one. The vision for the harvest. Verse 6. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, I have to say that the health and wealth preachers have really misused this. They said, if you give your money away, God's going to give you loads of money back. No. If you sow seed, do you get seed back? No, you get a harvest, then you get fruit. (laughs) It's not that at all. The way that that the harvest works is, is that you sow, and what is the fruit The fruit is, what is the harvest? It is the harvest or fruit of righteousness. And you'll see this in verse 9. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for the food will increase your store of seed, yes, but he will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. What is this saying? It's not making us better people. It's not our moral goodness. It's the fruit. It's, it's right relationships. That's what it is. Uh, uh, between people. Uh, between God and people. It's that as we give, we will see the blessings of God's kingdom, the fruit of his righteous kingdom, beginning to happen. There will be healing of relationships there will be restored relationships. We'll look, uh, in 2 Peter it says, um, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. It's the results of the gospel in the world, blessing people with new lives and a new way of living. That is the harvest. And we want that to grow in our city. And that is why the seed is sown. We should have a vision for that kind of harvest of righteousness. It's, it kind of picks up the Old Testament stuff of Amos and all of that. It's a wonderful picture. The fruit of the gospel being preached is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness in families, in individuals' lives, in companies, in business, in all sorts of places. We also need a vision of the Saviour as we close. All this ends in this wonderful verse that talks about Jesus. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Jesus didn't just come to earth. He wasn't just born. Jesus was given. Unto us a son is born, unto us a son is given. Or or Romans 8, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also give us all things freely? Jesus was given. And That's why it's called the grace of of giving. This is of God's own heart himself. And you see it, of course, in that most wonderful verse. Uh, 
You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Do you want to be that kind of person? Jesus gave himself away. And the grace of giving is not about arm's length giving. It is about giving yourself away, first to the Lord, and then to the church, to us, so that this gospel may go out. And I just ask you, do you want to be that kind of person? You know, that's what it is to, to lead the Christian life. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray for myself as much as for others that we might be given the grace of giving, that this might be a joy to us as we give ourselves first to you and then we give ourselves to our brothers and sisters in the Lord as we use this ministry of giving so that others may be blessed. For Lord, this would be like you you were given to us. We pray that we might be like this in Jesus' name. Amen.